Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, welcome to another episode of Pitch, connecting storytellers with the world. I'm Leah St. Marie. And I'm Angel. And today we have a friend of ours on the podcast, Adam Sinclair. Hello. Welcome. Um, Adam, you're known for Rizzolian Isles, Ecstasy, 24, the list goes on and on and on. As an actor. As an actor, please. And we we have an interesting backstory. We met on set two, three years ago. It's not that long ago, is it? Yeah. Jesus, Joni Maroney at yeah, the time is flying. Two, I think two, maybe two and a half. Two and a half years ago, because I've wow. been to two of your birthdays, so wow. at least two. My goodness. Wow. Time I was young, a young whippersnapper when you met me. Yeah. Um, I held up a video on YouTube of bow tie tying to help you tie that bow tie. That's, that's, that's when we connected. That's correct. This was on set. This was on set. But I also um, accidentally had him come to set early because I was line producing a thing. I called him in. Do you remember that? 7 a.m. call. I wasn't used to lunchtime after lunch. I felt awful. It's pretty standard. It's not like out of the ordinary for talent. I made up for it. I got him some Did I throw a tantrum? No, you were very oh, lovely. Good. good. I good. I bought you alcohol. I That's like probably he... why I didn't throw a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, then we did a short film together, all three of yes. us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, was a f- that was a good time. Two dresses. Up in Malibu, right? Yeah. Lovely Malibu. My bullshit... Jiu-jitsu. in Malibu. Yeah, it was a romantic time. Yeah, Kevin's going to have it on the website soon, actually. Oh, great. Yeah, so for our listeners out there, um, check out mm-hmm. Adam Sinclair and me uh, in a short film directed by Leah entitled Two Dresses. Two Dresses. What's the quick pitch for Two Dresses, Leah? Two men wrestling. There you go. <laughs> two, two semi-handsome men. One, of two, one, one, two, one is a Scotsman. Two metrosexuals wrestling. And, is, that, is that a thing now, metrosexuals? Sure. That's okay. like... Probably 20 years ago. Well, yeah. That's, that's showing my age now. Time period piece now. It's um, <laughs> two men married to the same woman at different points in time arguing over what dress to bury her in. You've got to have wrestling in there. You ha- Yeah. And then Angel becomes shirtless for some reason. For I don't some know reason. Why. It's like my lot of magic movies. And it's uh, a comp to that would be. Um, the Matrix. <laughs> no, no, wait, wait, I'm misremembering. No. No, it was not a sci-fi. No, no. Um, Bro. No, um, the big chill. The big chill. The big chill. Casden. Uh but Adam, you and I had lunch very recently in Los Feliz and you pitched me something that I think is incredible. And you had a meeting with Vincent. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your pitching process? Well, let me just fill you into what we were actually talking yes, about. Please. I mean, we've introduced me as an actor, and yes, that is what I'm predominantly known as. But um, 
I also own a flight school in Los Angeles, which you know about. First take aviation, just if anybody wants to look it up. Um, I got into aviation uh, about five years ago. Uh, learned to fly, started a flight school. Well, so from learning to fly to starting a flight school is five years for you. I feel like that's incredibly fast. I did it in six months. I got my pilot's license. Prolific. That is incredibly fast. And then within the year, I started the flight school. Uh, now, the secret to that is surrounding myself with good people. Ah. So I surrounded myself with a lot of good pilots. I saw a sort of little bit of injustice in the market in terms of who was getting to fly. It was a lot of uh, rich, privileged kids whose parents own planes. Mm-hmm. Um my now business partner, who was my flight instructor, he was he came from Mexico and learned to fly. He wanted to get in aviation from a young age, and it was it was just hard for him. And the only route to go was military. Um, I had a very similar experience when I was a young kid at school. I thought about getting into flying, but the only route to go was the Royal Air Force. It just wasn't a thing for me. It wasn't a road I was going to go down. And um, so, long story short, we started the flight school um, to try and bring aviation to more people and open up the world of aviation. And doing that, we realized there was an injustice. There's only 1.2% of the world's pilots are African-American. That's 1.2% of the world's pilots. And 3.4% are women. Um, the demand for pilots right now in the world of aviation, since we had COVID and we had a lot of the old guard uh, were laid off, uh, or they took early retirement, they can't come back into aviation once they've taken early retirement, uh, commercial-wise. And so when we came out of COVID, or at least came out of lockdown standards, aviation is coming back with a ferocity and the demand for pilots is through the roof. And we have countries like China and India who are now superpowers and they're exporting and importing and flying around or just aviation. When we talk about the climate change problem, it's the one thing that everybody likes to sweep under the carpet because it's not going anywhere but forwards is aviation. And so that becomes an engineering thing that will happen later on, I'm sure. But everybody's going into the air. So anyway, jump forward to this demand for pilots. Pilots, uh, within three years of learning to fly, you can be flying for an airline and earning $120,000 a year. Three years? That's, within three years. That's really rapid. From zero to hero. Like, but with like the, the right testing and all the right, the right protocols. Training. And all the right training. Wow. And to do that, you can do it for $80,000. I mean, that's an incredible turn. And you are guaranteed at the end of that $120,000 a year job. That's incredible because when you think of the amount of money and time spent on getting a BA and then an MA and then whatever, if you become like a lawyer or a doctor or something that's equivalent in payments. Well, wait and you hear this. So you work for the airline for four, year, uh, four years when you've been working for the airline and you fly a slim body like a 737. I think you're on $475,000 a year. And if you fly a fat body, which is a 747, you're on $564 a year. So I can't remember the exact number. It was round about there. Half a million dollars a year. That's more than a lawyer. That's more than a doctor. Yep. That's, that's up there with surgeon money. That's... Yep. So for all of our listeners out there who are writers who want a second career <laughs> path, within three years, you can be earning. So, he, so here's the reality of it. It's life-changing money. It's family, yes. family inheritance-changing money. Mm-hmm. It, so... We saw the injustice in this gap in the market. We decided to start a charity where we see we could get some kids going through flight school. And then how do we put a better spotlight on that 
turning under, it into a TV show. The underprivileged kids. Mm-hmm. These right. underprivileged kids. So we're working yeah. with charity charities um, based in South Central LA, based with the Navajo Nation, uh, the Women's 99 group. And we're going to these charities, and not, not just underprivileged kids, but people of underprivileged situations or situations where they just can't break out of. Now, don't get me wrong, not everybody's going to go and become a pilot. It takes a certain type of person to get in a plane and fly it and be responsible for 200 souls behind you, right? It takes a certain person. But it doesn't take that great amount of money. It takes a bit of determination and a bit of intelligence is what it takes. And in comparison with everybody else, so we saw this show called Last Chance You, which is a show about kids getting scholarships to universities based on sport, which seems to be a very big thing for the African-American community, breaking into basketball, the NFL, various sports, and that's their way of getting to university. Now, they do, it's not even to go and become a basketball player. It's just to get to university to get a bloody education. I mean, this is ridiculous. And then to be successful, now it's 1.1, it's 1% of the 1% that make it successful. It's like, a lottery. And it's a lottery and yeah. so many kids going for it. With and it's such it's a small their, window. It's the most viable path, which is the, That's which is the, the injustice. Si- like this is the most viable path to a higher education versus mm-hmm. other ethnicities having like just the fact that the academics and the education itself is a viable path. And that's yeah. the injustice, right? The totally injustice. Yeah. Totally injustice. And I sort of recognize that as this kid. It's very hard to sort of get into the whole race division thing here in America when you're not from here. But I'm from a working class town in Scotland. And, you know, life wasn't great growing up. Parents didn't have money. But the beautiful thing for me is the Scottish government paid for my education from start to finish, all the way through university. I went to the Royal Academy of Music and Drama and they paid for every penny of it. Mm -hmm. That's how we treat our children. We pay for our children's education. Across the board. Across the board. Unless you're like earning a ridiculous amount of money. Mm. Um, then yeah, that is, education is wow. free. Yeah. Education is free for those who can't afford it. That's it's not simple how as that. the United States works. It's not how the United States works. It's and the, so the I opposite. wanted to, so I wanted to make a dent in that here in the United States of America. And I can't do it through education system. I can't go and change the school system, but I can offer kids opportunity work beyond this. So we came up with the idea of Arc Flight Academy, or the Arc as we've called it. It's a Martin Luther King quote: "The Arc of Justice is long," um, and I can't even remember the second half of it now, embarrassing myself. Um, but the Arc of Justice is long, and eventually it meets. Um, if you can look it up for yeah, me, look it up, yeah. I actually have it on my pitch deck, which I don't have in front of me. Um, but it's about getting kids and taking them through the program, not training, not a reality show, but a docu series and showing this world of aviation. It's a whole world there. America is the home of aviation. There's airports all across America. Every every hundred miles is an air. Every fifty miles, every twenty five miles is an airport. You can go across America in a tiny plane. And there's a whole world that you can tap into where there's an FBO there for you, where there's coffee always there for you, somewhere for you to go and rest. It's there, the infrastructure's there, but it's only open to a privileged few. And so my thing's about cracking open the infrastructure and showing these kids, this is here. This is a reality. Nobody's telling you about it. I don't know why they're not telling you about it, but it's here. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So, 
if you wanted to refill your glass oh. as well. So you have a flight school and saw a problem in the industry and saw an opportunity for underprivileged children to start a nonprofit and you are funding these kids schooling to become pilots so that after three years, they can start making a livable inheritance wage. Better than that, within a year and a half, within the first year, in fact, within the first year, they can start working for themselves and earning 50 bucks an hour, teaching the kids below them how to fly. That's brilliant. And so what we're trying to create within our charity, not necessarily for the show, the show's a separate entity because TV money will pay for the kids to go through that. So I don't want to get the charity yeah. And the TV show mixed up. Oh, yeah, it's But the two TV show is a spotlight for the charity. Yeah. It's as simple as that. It's a spotlight for the charity. Um, and so the charity, yes, is being funded by um, outside funders or we're going to foundations. The Guerin Foundation is going to be fun- funding some of it. Um, and, yeah, it's just creating opportunity. And it's a very weird thing because we're, we're giving these kids money to go and study to become pilots and we'll pay for that. But they've also got to live. And they've got to fund the first year and a half themselves, whatever it is they do. So I don't know what their job is or what their family situation is. And, you know, we'll help with that and be advice for that as much as we can as human beings. Mm-hmm. But that's something they need to work out and figure out. But we will get them there if they've got the determination. And it's a bit of work. It's an overload of information. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do. But it is just based on numbers. It's not based on zeitgeist. It's not based on your background. It's not based on your... your the color, the color of your skin. Although it seems to be that way, and that's what I'm trying to change because there is inequity in there. But um, yeah, it's this this whole thing needs to be cracked wide open. And I think there's a, and here's the other thing: it's not just aviation business. It's been a closed shop, so this is just the start of it. And not, I'm not saying I'm going to venture into other things, but this is the start of making kids from certain situations look in, you know, scratch the surface. What is below it? What is out there? What can you get into? Right. And so you're going around. You have two different ways that you have to pitch yourself then. You have the nonprofit side where you're going to all of these organizations to tell you about what it is that you're doing. And then you have the docu-series. So it's a TV side of things that you're going around town and you're finding people to pitch this to. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about either one of those in the process of pitching? The pitching. So, yeah, oh, sorry. I want to do the quote real quick. Yes. Dr. Martin Luther King says, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm. Thank you very much. It is Sunday afternoon and I do have a glass of red wine in my hand. So yeah, I did forget that quote, but it's a fantastic quote. And I didn't want to do that name of a show where something was so obvious, Mm -hmm. like flight school, flight academy. And so we called it The Ark. And I just thought it was a bit more interesting. Again, make people think about, go and look at what that title means, read that quote, Mm -hmm. and again, spark something else within something. And that's what it's about, about sparking within them. Yeah. But, um... To talk, to, to talk about pitching, so this, even just talking about it to you now, like the idea is so rewarding just thinking that we can possibly do this, right? So my first initial pitch deck was just me saying, hey, who wants to do it? There's was, was no pitch deck, it was me talking. And people were like, oh, that sounds really, as soon as you mention planes, it sounds kind of sexy and fun, right? So that, so that gets people's attention. Yeah. And then you say you're going to help kids and that gets people's attention. And then you talk about the injustice with the African-American and female community, which is obviously, let's not beat around the bush, there's a lot of box ticking going on. There's a lot of people's voices trying to get heard right now. Whatever angle you're coming at it from, that is something that's very relevant in our time right now. 
The TV companies, I think, want to be seen to be doing the right thing, so they tick boxes, but there is an injustice for people who are trying to come forward. So the whole thing, just talking about it, was kind of peeling in itself. So that got me in the door initially. As soon as I got in the door with certain people, which I got representation of CA behind idea, I realized, oh my goodness, this has got legs. Yes. Get your professional head on. This yes. isn't just having a pint and talking about something you want to make. This is an actual reality. And it garnered attention so quickly. There was like, I got together with a producer friend. I was like, right, we've got to put the, together a pitch deck. And we literally did a written pitch deck. And it was kind of rough and fun, all different fonts. And we said, here, look at this. Do you think this is a great idea? Do you think this is a good idea to go the road to go down to the agents? And they were like, they came back to studios and they like, okay, I've got four people interested, I've already sent it out. And I was like, no, no, what are you, what are you talking about? We sent that was, we were just writing something out. That's and a was, dream. So it was a dream, yeah. And so uh, I don't want to name anybody's names in particular in case they, they drop off and then I've sort of right. named them. But there was a lot of interest and a lot of big companies were interested. There's a lot, they're still interested. So then we realised that, like, all right, we bring our proper pitch deck down. So then we went to somebody who puts these things together and they do research and pictures and... And make it look, and, and this was a conversation we had about pitching. You're not pitching to artistic people. You're not pitching to any people who even make television. Mm -hmm. You're pitching to accountants or Silicon Valley people who are looking at figures and numbers and flow charts. Yeah. Now, if you go in there and say, I've got this the most original idea, it's about a tartan cow who flies through the night and fires laser beams out its horns. No, I'm not going to make that. Yeah. What are the numbers on the tartan it, cow? What's, what's the numbers? Show me the numbers on that. Yeah. Unless what, Comedy Central is the what same. Shows in which it case relate, what shows Adam it related to? Has yeah. a pitch. What other tartan cow shows was there? Laser beams and all? And if, now it could be the best, right? It could have been written by Ibsen. It could have been, you know, it could be all these different things. It doesn't matter. They've never heard of it before. What's the, what were we talking about earlier? The IP? What's, we were, yeah. So they wanted, so everything that's getting made now has to have an instant IP. Yeah. Which is, viewing numbers attached to it which so, every writer is dealing with right now in hollywood like so your idea has to be book, something else first yeah remake of a comic uh, a regurgitation of an old idea which is a shame because there's no the original I, I feel the narrative of original ideas is getting lost for the purpose of just getting stuff out there to recreate stuff to to recast it in different formats. And as you say, have this IP address, uh, IP address, this IP. So it's constantly got an audience. And what it's doing is it's getting rid of the creative art of what we do. And mm -hmm. so when you're pitching to, even if you have come up with the original idea about a tartan cow who flies through space and, and shoots <laughs> laser beams out its horns, you've got to make them think this is the show that they want. Or it's a show that they've seen. So you're like, oh, you know, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Yeah, so it's not like that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Kind of, and, then, and you've kind of almost got to take them on a road that they feel comfortable with and have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed in terms of what the show is, but don't create the show. Make them feel like they've created the show in their own head. So come in, have it be open-ended. I don't even know if that's the term. You almost have to kind of Jedi mind trick trick them into authorship. Uh, that's exactly it. That's exact. That's that's a perfect way of putting it. That's a perfect way of putting. It. Like here's the bullet points of a show. Mm -hmm. What would you do with those bullet points? And then they and you get but show. you give them enough bullet points that they come up with your show. Yeah. That's it. When did you realize that that's what you were actually doing? 
after you got representation and after they took it out and then you went in and met with as some of these people? As soon as I met with a producer and he says, go and take a look at this TV show. And it was Last Chance You. Mm-hmm. And I went and looked at Last Chance You and I went, and then to be fair to him, I was still a little bit all over the place about what the format was. So when I looked at Last Chance You, I went, that's the show. And then from there, once I had the show, then I could tweak it and make it slightly different. Mm-hmm. But it was easier to start on a base of something I knew and tweak it into something different than it was to... And it's not the same show, but the, what's the, 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 the belief of... Is a Buddhist belief that there's only seven ideas in the world or some... Yeah, there's only seven original story ideas. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... I think Lucas or Spielberg said that or someone. I think Spielberg quoted something like, I think it's Nietzsche actually originally came up with the original concept of there's only seven concepts within the world. That makes sense. So, um, but yeah, it's been been employed by the film world. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. But yeah, find your show, find something as similar to it as possible you possibly can. Use that as a reference tool, Mm -hmm. but show them how it can be different. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. This is the the concept of pitching is a little bizarre, and this industry is bizarre. So yeah, but yours is indicative of when someone asks anyone, like if somebody comes up to me and asks me, "How did I get my first manager?" Well, my story is unique among all the stories because all the stories happen a different way. It's not one way to do something. So you having your pitch. You got people interested in it before you did your pitch deck. You got a producer on board and you got a CAA on board and then you did the pitch deck. And then I made the pitch deck. And then you shot that around. So you already had like so the concept, fire So that's you. when I knew the concept was a great concept from the start, from the get off. Yeah. So I knew I had, like I know I've had a great idea. Like The reason I got into the aviation world is because I saw a massive gap in the market. I saw a demand for pilots and I saw initially, let's be honest about it, a way to make money, which is why I started the business. Mm-hmm. And then I reminded myself why I was in that business is because I, I, I was pissed off about injustice about certain pilots and certain people and the way people Good. the pilots were getting treated. And I was like, okay, let's go back to that. Well, why don't we start a charity program? That'd mm-hmm. be great. We're doing this. And then the, it, it evolved itself in my own head. So it, all it took was somebody was like, make a show about it. That's all it took for somebody to say. And I was like, yeah, of course. Sometimes, yeah, it that's the magic. idea, and I because that's from the very essence of me stepping in a plane, it was a great idea. I think my personal philosophy is when you have an idea, you don't know, do I run with it? Do I put it in the back burner? The first person that you ask and you pitch that idea to, if it's a yes from them or a no from them, dictates whether or not you run with it. So you have to be very, wow. you have to be very careful who you pitch that idea to, because if it's an, an, a no, you could have had the best idea ever, but because you didn't have the support, you put that on the back burner. And if, if any of our audiences out there have had a good idea and they pitched it to someone and they said no, well, maybe pick that idea back up. So I heard two contradictory things in there. Okay. You said the first person you pitch to, if it's yes or no, if it's yes, you run with it. Yeah. And then at the end there, maybe I tuned out for a second. Did Were you saying like, if you got a no, but you like that idea, you should then pick it back up? Yeah. Pick, okay. Pick so it don't, back up. So don't necessarily don't let someone dictate yes. your connection to an idea, but yes. audience test, maybe maybe like an aggregate audience testing. Like if three people all say no, maybe then drop it. Because if the first person says no, then you drop it. Well, there's, there's, a thing in writing, However, there's a thing in writing they say, don't talk about it, write it. And I think that's it. Now you're talking about me getting these people involved and then realizing yes. I had to get something down on paper. Yes. I could have talked about it forever and never done a thing. And 
I could have been pitching it wrong the whole time, but at least as soon as I knew there was a bit of interest, I was like, right, get stuff done on paper. I don't know if you've ever done therapy, but when you do therapy, the first thing a therapist gets you to do is write. Because writing is our clearest conscience. It's the clearest point of our conscience. It's where we, it's where we take all the noise in our head and we funnel it into a single thing, and that's a word. Mm-hmm. So, by, so by talking about your project all the time and pitching all the time, Pitching isn't a great thing. I think this is why the pitch deck works really well and spending a bit of money on your pitch deck and getting it look nice and getting those good... And not just pictures pulling off the internet. Get into these these um, Getty picture banks and all these mm-hmm. things and put together what feels like a bloody holiday brochure. Mm. It should feel like, I want to go there. And if you make that and have that precede you, you don't have to pitch. All you're going in at that point to do is to talk about how many episodes are we doing? What's your budget? Because that was, that was my next meeting with uh, uh, your man, Vincent. It was like, he's like, this speaks for itself. He's like, I read that. I saw that line when you when you pull back on the yoke and you see the person's face. He's like, I was there. I saw it. I felt it. He's like, this is a great idea. Let's just make it. Yeah. Vincent is a producer that I hooked um, Adam up with who does documentaries for mm-hmm. Life is My Movie. Who's doing Nathan and I's documentary. Yeah. Great and then your documentary. Yeah. He is a great guy. But exactly what you said. You go, you you have the precursor to the meeting, which is your pitch deck. So put some money into it. Put a lot of time. Put a lot of love. And a lot of money for a real good pitch deck. Yeah. It's like 500 bucks is it, a lot of money. It is. For a pitch deck. I've spent that amount of money on a pitch deck with for Kosuke. I've spent that money in a round of drinks in this town. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest with it, right? You, yeah. you, you got dumped with the bill and everybody left. And you're like, oh shit, I'll just get it tonight. Like, 500? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's... um. If you're going to spend money anywhere, people talk about doing sizzle reels and, mm-hmm. and doing this and, and getting as many doors as you can and make business. No, your pitch deck will speak for itself if the idea is solid. If you're handing over something, they go, I see that and I want to go on holiday there, like we just said. Yeah. That's it. It's a brochure. That's so true. You do you do a pitch deck and then when you go in, you're you're pitching you. You're not pitching the project. They're, they want to see how nice you are. Yes. When you're going in, once, once, they've, once they've picked up on the pitch deck, you're 70% there. Mm-hmm. Now they're interviewing you to see if there's somebody they want to spend the next year of their life with. Yeah. yeah. And it's nothing to do with the project. Yeah. Angel, I saw you had a question. <clears throat> no, I was just going to reiterate that it's uh, you were talking about your project, which ran counter to the advice you heard. Don't talk about it, write it, right? Yes. But I think this goes back to what Stephen Horniak was saying. We had a guy on who does um, audience testing. So they take a movie, and then before it shows to the general audience, they screen it with a selected audience, and they interview them, and they adjust the movie if it's necessary. Mm-hmm. So with Get Out, the Jordan uh, Jordan Jordan Peele, Peele? Jordan yeah, Peele, Peele movie, yeah. the ending was different from what we all saw, and that was changed because of the audience testing. Mm-hmm. The ending was he and um, uh, the, the the two guys, the the boyfriend and girlfriend are fighting in the driveway. The cop car pulls up. She starts screaming, help, help, he's beating me up, he's killed my whole family. And in the original ending, the cop who pulled them over on the way into town gets out. And our homeboy goes to jail. Right. He loses. The audience hated that hated ending. Because they were rooting for him? Hated that ending. They're like, he, he needs a it's win. Funny. So they funny. So they went and told Jordan Peele, hey, the audience loved your movie, hated the ending. Jordan Peele then thought about it, went back, and rewrote the ending that we all know where like his homie gets out of the cop car. Right. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says this is where audience testing can save a movie or, you know, if you don't do it, it can break your movie. They now have started to do it with scripts. So they take the script in before they even shoot the movie and perform it, stage, table read. Stage reading With an audience. Wow. And they test it and then they interview the audience. It's not a bad idea. 
So, but what you're doing with your pitch is basically you're audience testing it with audiences of one, a friend at lunch, uh, a, a producer friend, this, that, and the other person, and they're responding to it and hang, going, hey, that's that's got legs. That's your first audience. And so then when you, by the time you're ready to put a pitch deck together, you've had so many positive responses, you've either tailored it to make it better or you've seen that it has legs like you, you've talked about. I always, as an actor, I've... And our, our, our filmmaker, our television maker, mm-hmm. and all the projects I've worked on over the years, I'm always like, I've tried to do that thing where I've done a project, we've filmed five scenes, and I'm super excited about it, and I love the dailies, and I go to my mother-in-law, and I go, oh, look at that, it looks amazing. She's just like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. There's no point showing somebody something half-finished. So there's no point pitching to a professional with a half-finished idea. You're, and just to go back on what you said, pitch to your friends with a half-finished idea, yeah, because they'll guide you through it, and then you come back to your friends the next night, next time you're having a coffee or a tea or a glass, and go, here, what about I do this with it? And they'll give you ideas, and blah, blah, blah. And another thing is don't be offended by ideas. Listen to them. Don't say, oh, that's a lot of rubbish. Don't get advice about it. Sure, yeah. Take it, let it go. But, yeah, shape it, because we, you do only get, and that's why I was saying the pitch deck. That's when I realised when I, I knew I had traction. I was like, shit, I got traction here, and I'd only had a conversation, and I went and I did the pitch deck. The idea is fire, Adam. Because that's because so that's it. So the pitch deck is your thing. That's your, that's it. That's the calling card now. Right now, as far as I've noticed, mm-hmm. that's it. I did it before, so I made a TV series, our four TV series, and we got and I got a lot. It was called Lincoln Avenue. We watched it, yeah. And I got a lot of traction with that, and Paramount were interested. There's a lot of people interested. And you wrote it, and I wrote it, started it, started it, directed it, and produced it, and um. Mm-hmm. It was about three guys, we called it the other side of LA, the non-glossy side of LA. Yeah. It was about three guys just living in LA, living their lives with their families, trying to get through things. Unfortunately, the, the temperature or the, the, the mood for what people want to see in, in three white guys living in suburbia wasn't what people want to watch right now. And so the Oscar So White, Oscar so White happened, Me Too movement happened, and so I pushed it off the, the scale of what people were wanting to make. And I had a bit of legs before that. But that time, Pitching that, I actually went out and I made pilot episodes. So and so, put, I made trailer episodes for each, each episode. I did six of them, and I did what you'd see like what was going to be the advertisement that week running on television for each one, and that got me in the door before. And that was because there was a time you used to do a pitch sheet. Mm-hmm. That it was a one piece, like a one sheet, yeah, a one sheet. That was enough. Then there was a script. Yeah. You had to send a script. And then they didn't want to read scripts, so they're reading too many scripts. Yep. So then it was then send us in a sizzle reel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, oh, why don't you shoot an episode and yep. put it out? And so this, I guess what I'm trying to say is it constantly changes. What they want. What, is what they want. What gets and you in the door, yeah. And look at what we're doing with auditions right now. It's the time you had to be in the room and you had to work the room. And then yeah, now yeah. it's like, oh, your, your reel's got to be amazing because that's what's preceding you. And, and make sure you've got a professional setup with microphone. Like we're sitting here right now and we're sitting here. Mm-hmm. And your house with professional equipment. That's just the way it is now. Mm-hmm. When it comes to pitching, I think, and this is only what I've been going through recently, is the pitch deck has been the golden ticket for me. I can chat up a storm. I can chat to anybody about anything. You're great at it, yeah. I, um, so that comes secondary. Yeah. That comes secondary. I mean, these are good rules. Like, have a solid pitch deck. Put Put some money into it. Put the time into it. Make sure that it sings. And then be solid in the room. Test your idea with non-professionals. Oh, when yeah, you say professionals, right? Friends. You're talking about the accountants and decision makers who you would be in the room pitching to. When you say don't pitch an unfinished idea to professionals. Yeah. 
Like you have so, friends in the industry so who are technically professionals, but the different people who you'd be sitting across from, then they are the bean counters. My friends aren't going to buy it off me. And if right. they think it's a good idea, they might put me in touch. Here's the thing about friends in the business. <laughs> is, <laughs> Sorry, I, I have a feeling I know where this is going to go. Well, friends in the business, is that thing. You could you could be Tom Cruise. I bet you Tom Cruise's mm-hmm. friends go, out, oh God, there's Tom again acting his heart out. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you can't impress your friends. Yeah. And your friends have always got, no, no, no. I know how it should end. Yeah. Every time. Mm-hmm. So no matter how I've got friends in the business from the upper echelons in front of the camera, behind the camera to the lower. And it's like they're not who I'm they're not gonna buy it off me. Yeah. If I so if, if my neighbor came and pitched the exact same idea to them, they'd probably buy it off him, you know. It's yeah. that that's just the way it works. <laughs> and so friends in business is you gotta take them the pinch of salt there. But by all means use them and, and use that arena. Mm-hmm to get your idea solid. Don't mm. use it for ideas, use it to get your idea solid. If they're like, I don't understand that bit, then you're obviously not explaining it right, so get your idea solid. Gotcha. This yeah, is, um, during the height of COVID, I would have these table reads for scripts that I had written because we weren't doing anything and everybody was using Zoom anyway. So I we table read, or I table read like five feature films. And afterwards, we would always have a discussion because I wanted notes on my script. And if everybody had the same note, I'd pay attention to that. Yeah. So it's, it is. You're really good about like opening things up for receiving notes after. I try. Stuff, yeah. So it is a matter of, yes, you will have a professional pitch. But like what the two of you are saying, pitch to your friends because there are some gold nuggets there too. Yeah. And it's like. And I'm constantly pitching to Angel. Yeah. I did it today. <laughs> you did. And I heard a great um, interview. Uh, Matt Damon was talking about Ben Affleck very early on in their career. And Matt Damon said, you know, at some point, Ben said to me, hey, look, don't judge me on all my bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this quote? Mm-hmm. Judge me on my best ideas. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they were talking about in the guise of like brainstorming and ideating and coming up and iterating that you need to have free reign to get all your ideas out yeah. and not be judged on them because otherwise it's going to stop the flow and then the good ideas don't come out. That's great. So, so you are constantly pitching to me. Yeah. So, that, and that's great. And I think, look, Every, it's like everybody's a photographer now because you can take a million pictures with your camera and get one good picture out of it, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And as I guess it's the same for ideas. Lightning only strike, strikes every now and again. You can't just be like, another great idea, another great idea, another great idea. And when it, and so, but you don't want to be going in the room mm. with the baggage of the bad ideas. No. And that, yeah. So get it out, get it out, get it out. But when something is real and it's there and people are, starting to raise the eyebrows and everybody when other people start having ideas on it it's usually a good sign when it's an idea a good idea yes yeah Leah always says as soon as they start asking questions or like offering ideas then you know you oh, have this them is how this is you know you do. have yeah. them and you let them pitch on your idea yeah. and you you yes and I think a lot of good pitching is Im- the same rules of improv right big eyes and lots of like wacky movement yeah <laughs> but at the end of the day I don't, know, I don't know improv enough I just made that up sorry to all the improv people out there who are listening there's a lot of conversation that's going to go down in the pitching room that I so my um, producing partner David um, he's always like stop talking <laughs> after we come off the meeting like when we, when we do the uh, the breakdown at the end he's like yeah you, you need to stop talking so much and it's like because we've got tends to go off topic and you want to tell them how you got to that idea so you want to tell them the process and the work 
yeah. and you're actually just bogging them down with a lot of yeah. bullshit and that's yeah. where the pitch deck again has to be succinct as well yeah. mm-hmm. you can have paragraph one it's bullet points it's bullet points and if they pick in the bullet point and want to talk about the bullet point talk about it enough and get the idea across but don't go into how you got there and how your mum was your mum was a basketball player and that's why you decided to become a basketball player and that's the exhilarating thing to a creative is how i got to this point but what I've realized similarly is that they don't care. That bogs them down. That bogs I'm them like, down. I'm the, like, the coolest thing is the the, the breadcrumb road I travel yeah. to get to what I'm presenting to you. They do not care. They don't care. That stops the, their joy and their discovery of the process. Ha- Even though it is magic. It has to be. By the time you're sitting in front of somebody who's going to write a check, it has to be so. And you're going to have to join us next episode to find out what Adam thinks your pitch needs to be by the time you're in front of somebody who has the power to write a check and bring your idea to life. For both Leah and myself, thanks for listening. Cheers from Hollywood. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time.